This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide issue that affects you. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shayna Roth. We've been following access to criminal justice for a while now on the show, and we wanted to take this time as we reach the end of the year to look back on what changes have happened. And spoiler alert, there were a lot. So... To talk about all of this, we brought on someone who's been working on this issue quite a bit, Michigan Supreme Court Chief Justice Bridget Mary McCormick. Welcome to Mishmash. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys. So you recently wrote uh, in the Bar Journal, the Michigan Bar Journal, that you think that we may have arrived at a breakthrough moment uh, when it comes to access to justice in Michigan. Uh, Why do you think that is? So Michigan is perfectly um, poised to have a significant transformation of our civil justice system, our access to justice system. And I I think the reason for that is we had so many um, uh, incremental changes happening for the last couple of decades and so many stakeholders engaged in how to think about uh, broader change. And then... um, The pandemic brought more disruption than ever to everything that courts do and uh, lawyers and judges do, um, that we were able to learn uh, a whole set of new skills um, and the benefits that came with them. And I think the combination of that major disruption with all that was percolating um, already by March 2020 um, puts us in position to have a real transformation of our access to justice. Can you talk to us more about why this is an issue that people should be paying attention to? I know a lot of people, when they think of the courts, they think of a place they don't want to go. Uh, But you have you and the other justices have really been working on uh, improving how people get justice in the courtrooms and in some ways making them not so intimidating. So why should people be paying attention to what is happening? Yeah, well, you know, the justice system is really kind of the operating system for our society and um, the public's confidence that it delivers on the promise of equal justice is is foundational to, you know, our democratic norms. Um, but as you're probably well aware, um, courts operate um, in funny in a funny language, and they're difficult for people to navigate who can't afford lawyers, and most people can't afford lawyers. You know, the courts were designed at a time when everybody had lawyers. Um, that's no longer true. Now most people can't afford lawyers for most legal problems. So figuring out how to make sure that everybody can access justice is really critical to the health of our democracy. It really is a way to grow trust in government. That's, it might sound like a, a a, a big answer, but I think it's the correct answer. So in in this piece uh, in the Michigan Bar Journal, you really lay out sort of a timeline going all the way back to 1995 of events that have sort of led us to this moment. Uh, talk a little bit about maybe some of the, the key highlights from that that have brought us to this point where you say, again, uh, that we're, we're reaching this breakthrough moment. Yeah, going back to 1995, Michigan um, lawyers and judges have a great track record of trying to think expansively and creatively about the challenge of people who can't afford lawyers. Um, starting in 1995, the State Bar of Michigan um, had an access to justice task force that led to the development of what's been a very successful access to justice campaign since then. Um, and that kind of got us off to the races. 
Um, and then in the last 10 to 12 years, there have been significant steps towards thinking about access to justice in new and innovative ways. For example, in 2012, um, the court, together with the state bar, launched the Michigan Legal Help Program, which is, in my view, the, the, the very best self-help legal um, website in the country. Um, in addition to a website, it um, has, we have centers around the state and navigators who can help. Um, and it's a really tremendous program. Um, and then it, it, in some ways, since then, um, we've, we've only focused our attention more, more significantly on this, on this issue. And in 2019, we started this Justice for All um, task force to which was funded, I should say, by the National Center for State Courts. Um, and it was a, 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 a project between the court, the State Bar, and the Bar Foundation. And we wanted to get a statewide inventory of where the gaps really are most pronounced um, and what services we do have and how to better um, make sure that everybody has access to those. And in the middle of that process, we had this pandemic, which just changed everything. Um, and it gave everybody that much more um, determination to see if Michigan could really be a national leader in figuring out new, new and creative ways um, to make sure everybody has information and help with their legal problems. You touched on, actually, that segues perfectly into the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is is the pandemic. I think the pandemic has really shown us that we need to, as you say, be creative about how we allow people to access justice. I think one of the main ones has been allowing for more live streaming of court proceedings. Can you talk us through some of the changes that have been made as a result of the pandemic and, and the ones that you're sort of most excited about keeping around? Yes, it, it, thank you for that question. It's a great question. There, there, there has been more change in the state courts in the last 18 months than in a century, and I'm not exaggerating, um, because we had to figure out how to make sure people could continue to access justice, but we had to keep people safe in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, everybody had to transform what they did to remote platforms. We had a bit of a head start in Michigan because the trial judges already had Zoom licenses. The Michigan Supreme Court had purchased Zoom licenses for all the trial courts, um, six or seven months before we had a pandemic, not because we uh, saw it coming. I wish we could take credit for that. We did not. We just thought it might make sense for for um, lawyers and litigants to be able to have other options for how they could take care of court business. So everybody had to figure out how to work in these um, remote courtrooms on remote platforms, and live streaming was part of that. In my view, live streaming is, is important to transparency, and transparency is important to public trust. But it's really the the, the new ways of accessing courts, which are really a service more than a place, um, that's most exciting. And, and in places where they have really good data, um, we're seeing that far more people um, show up to their court appearances when they have a remote option. So Arizona, for example, I was on a panel with um, some judges from Arizona last week, and they have significant data that in eviction cases, for example, when litigants um, were, were only given the choice to come to a courthouse, um, a very high number of them defaulted and just didn't show up when served with an eviction notice. On a remote platform, that number dropped dramatically. Same for debt collection cases, sort of post-conviction uh, post criminal payments of fines and fees. So just giving people more options, people who can't take time off from work, people who don't have transportation, who might have children or elderly parents they're taking care of, who might have 
um, other reasons why getting to a physical courthouse is really um, is really difficult. Giving them an option to show up to court on their smartphone um, allows them to access justice in a way they might not otherwise have been able to. And that's just kind of the top line. You know, one of the other things we did during the pandemic, the Michigan Supreme Court, is we um, had started a pilot program in 17 counties of um, online dispute resolution. It's a, it's a wonderful program. It's completely free. It allows parties to engage the platform with or without a mediator in an asynchronous format. We quickly, during the pandemic, um, pushed it into all 83 counties. And now Michigan is the only state in the country that offers statewide free online dispute resolution for people who want to resolve their disputes, but don't really want to have to go to a court and deal with a judge. Um, so that kind of innovation that we we all had to um, find deep within us, and you know, law school tried to beat it out of us. I'll tell you that. But <laughs> it turns out uh, lawyers and judges can innovate, and that's really exciting for addressing you know sort of big sticky problems. I'm curious though if there are any kinks to still work out with this um, in terms of you know, the switch to remote hearings and so forth, um, especially when it comes to, I mean, we, we had a situation uh, and, and I don't, you don't need to comment on this specifically, but a situation uh, recently, uh, let's say, with uh, defendants where uh, there was speculation as to, you know, where they actually were when they were in their court hearing, making sure that someone is actually physically present somewhere. Um, you know, that that is something that may be lost possibly with these remote uh, court hearings. I'm curious what your thoughts are about um, about, you know, that or other issues that that these uh, this new technology, although, you know, there are many benefits. Are there some drawbacks? So I didn't mean to be saying that um, the remote platforms are perfect for every single kind of hearing and every single kind of case. I don't believe that's true. Um but what I meant to be saying was increasing our options for how we um, can make sure our neighbors can can access justice is is a is just a, the biggest change we've seen in our profession in a generation. Um, so figuring out what the what the cases are where remote platforms make perfect sense and should perhaps be the default, um, and then figuring out what hearings um, they make the least sense and maybe should be the exception is part of the work ahead, um, and we have to still do that. I frankly think we'd need a lot more data before you could really figure it out. Um, data is something that uh, <laughs> uh, courts, uh, as well as other related criminal justice agencies in particular have never been that great at collecting, um, but we're working pretty hard on it. And if it means running pilots and making sure we're collecting the specific data that we need to figure out what, you know, where this technology will work the best going forward, that's what we should do. Um, what, what What I find exciting is we just all of a sudden have a lot more options, a lot more tools and a lot more entrepreneurial um, attitudes in the in the court system, and that's exciting. One of the big things that has come up over the last couple of years is this Justice for All task force. Can you talk a little bit about what the task force has been doing and what the plans are going into next year for it? Yeah, um, I'm very excited about the it's 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 now the Justice for All Commission, um, and um, it started as a task force in 2019. It was a joint 
project between the court, the Michigan Supreme Court, the State Bar, and the Bar Foundation um, that we secured funding for the, the planning um, process from the National Center for State Courts. Um, and we spent uh, a year and a half doing a statewide inventory uh, of, of what the options are for legal help for people who can't afford lawyers throughout the state. Um, and, and then coming up with an innovative plan for how to build a civil justice system that provides 100% access. And what we mean by 100% access is everybody with a justice problem um, is able to get the help they need to navigate it. That's not, not ever going to mean a, you know, a lawyer for every person. Lawyers are really hard to scale. And just to give you a sense of the scale of the problem, eight out of 10 people can't afford lawyers for, um, for all of their legal problems. So we're not, we're not going to be able to scale lawyers. But there are other things we can do to make sure people have, depending on what the issue is, um, the information um, or the limited help they might need to be able to navigate the problem and, and feel satisfied with the, rev, the, 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 um, the, the resolution of that problem. So the, the commission now, after the report was issued in November 2020, the, the, the Supreme Court um, established a permanent um, commission, and they have since been hard at work on um, the different facets of what we think building a, a justice system that provides 100, 100% access would look like. And um, there are, uh, there are a, a, a number of values that have to be welcoming, understandable, collaborative, adaptive, and trusted. Um, there are specific goals. Um, and among those, um, there are some immediate priority projects and some that are longer term. Um, but we have teams working on um, welcoming courthouses. We have teams working on simplifying forms, just simplifying process so you know people can understand what's happening in plain English. We have a team working on regulatory reform. Who besides lawyers can help people understand solutions to their legal problems? Um, when you think about medical problems, you don't need a surgeon for every single problem. Ask any mom. She'll tell you that the the, the nurse practitioner in her pediatrician's practice is the first person she calls, right? You don't need a surgeon for every single medical problem. Um, so the, so the, the commission is engaged in really exciting, innovative work that really could make Michigan the national leader in um, civil justice reform, and that's very exciting. So what are the things standing in the way still? What are the major barriers, if any, to reaching this breakthrough moment that you talk about? So I think that's hard to say exactly. I mean, some of the, um, you know, there are some barriers in the profession that are um, uh, cultural or normative. You know, there's a little bit of inertia, you know, the, the, the tendency to, um, do things one way because it's the way we've always done it is especially strong for lawyers and judges. Um, I think that's understandable. We're trained in law school to look to past decisions to guide our future um, decisions. So it's it really we come by it honestly. The the um, the inertia um, that we that we all uh, bring to our, um, our our work each day. Um, so that's that's out there we're gonna we're, there will there will be there will be some resistance to thinking about solving this justice problem differently than we have before um i think there are some collaborations um that still need work um i think to be able to really provide 
people with the information and the resources they need to navigate justice problems. There's no way for courts or lawyers to do it alone. We're going to have to collaborate with trusted community partners, and that means, um, you know, libraries need to be access to justice information centers. I think schools should, too. You know, places where people otherwise go should be places where we're able to provide resources and information um, um, to, 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 to give them the help they need. Um, and then finally, I do think at a certain level, there should be some um, funding and support for the kinds of resources that will allow us to scale civil justice solutions. And I don't, you know, again, I don't, I'm not talking about the kind of funding to like, you know, find uh, five times as many lawyers as we now have. That's not the answer. Um, but funding for technology, um, building a statewide case management system would be an enormous change in how we could collect data and then make better decisions about how we spend our resources, um, as well as um, um, resources for building up the community support for civil justice solutions. So I think those are the main barriers, but I could be missing some. All right, Michigan Supreme Court Justice Bridget Mary McCormick, thank you so much for being on Mishmash. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. All right, that's all for Mishmash. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for listening.